Thank you for tuning in to the BPL podcast today. I'm your host, Leanne, an adult services librarian at Bexley Public Library. In honor of Women's History Month, on this episode, we are highlighting the Women's Fund of Central Ohio. I'll be chatting with Kelly Griesmer, CEO of the Women's Fund. Kelly graduated Phi Beta Kappa with a bachelor's degree in journalism and history from Indiana University. She holds a Juris Doctorate degree with honors from The Ohio State University Moritz College of Law. In 2008, Kelly left her 13-year legal career at Jones Day Law Firm and helped to found Pelotonia, a grassroots social movement that raises money to fund transformational cancer research. As Pelotonia's first chief operating officer, Kelly helped the organization raise over $106 million in its first seven years. Kelly then joined the Columbus Foundation as the director of special projects in 2016 and later served on its leadership team as senior vice president. Kelly currently serves as the president and CEO of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio, a public foundation that is fiercely committed to igniting social change for the sake of gender equality. We'll just go ahead. Okay. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So, of course, right off the bat, let's start talking about the Women's Fund of Central Ohio. Um, So from your website, uh, through grant making, advocacy and partnerships, education, the Women's Fund addresses challenges facing women and girls, such as childcare, wage and wealth gaps, healthcare and leadership training. So for our listeners who uh, might not be familiar with the Women's Fund of Central Ohio, can you give us the elevator pitch? Tell us what you work on, um, and especially in addition to making grants. Uh, The Women's Fund was created just 20 years ago. We're celebrating our 20th year of impact this year. And it was created because uh, 15 women in our community saw that women weren't reaching their full potential. And that despite the somewhat decision that society had made that women had reached equality, they didn't believe that was true. And really we're focusing on what we now understand so much more to be equity that there are norms that we didn't know what to call it 20 years ago. Our founders didn't know they were talking about equity and intersectionality and gender norms and biases. <laughs> but really, that's we were we were created to dig into that and understand why there were systemic barriers that were holding women back and girls back. Uh, girls obviously become women. Um, <laughs> how early was it starting? Let's do research about that. Let's understand the root causes. Let's try to invest, get women involved in investing in other women, which is women's philanthropy is a piece, but all philanthropy matters. We want all people working together, but we especially want women in the game and then give those grants and 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 make those kinds of decisions that start to break down those systemic barriers. There's been so much more discussion about equality versus equity. Equity is the the recognition that we all, we all don't start in the same place because of the norms that have existed. So, or as I like to say, I'm I, I'm five two. If I'm standing in a concert behind a guy who's six foot, I can't see, and so we don't have we have an equal ticket into the event, and yet I still can't see the stage. And it's actually no harm to him when he allows me to step in front of him. He can still see the stage. I can still see the stage. That's equity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is that realizing I can't control the fact that I'm 5'2". You can't control the fact that you're 6'. <laughs> Our tickets do not make us equal. Right. And so 
um, with regard to seeing the actual performance. And so um, I try to help people understand that what these norms in our society have created are these moments where um, the ticket may look equal, but the experience, the lived experience we're having isn't actually making us equal. And the goal would be that if you work equ enough equity into your world, the tickets do look the same, right? But it, it, we're not there. And I will tell you that my team then will tell me, okay, and then talk about liberation, Kelly, because liberation is a whole other thing that says we're way past it, right? Now everybody's just doing what they want. Um, and I think that that's honestly what most people want. Uh, the hardest part is the self-reflection and the vulnerability around the fact that um, the norms and biases that exist, we all have them, we didn't create them, and it is our, our vigilant responsibility to fix them. For the listeners at yeah. home, I'm just nodding really vigorously um, into the microphone. There's so much there. The I think the ticket, your ticket metaphor or analogy or visual is so wonderful. And I just finished a book by Leila Lamani called Conditional Citizens. And it you know, it's all about what makes you a United States citizen and, and your passport or your ticket, you know, doesn't it's not equal <laughs> across the board. So that was just a wonderful um connection. But so you talked about um investing. And so can you just kind of talk about how like, is the Women's Fund really focused on like financial equity? We really believe as a funder, we're created to be, we're a public foundation, which means that we are a nonprofit, but we were created to actually fund work in the community that that works on systemic change. So that may be making a grant to a particular partner. It may be funding research. It may be funding an advocacy effort that we believe actually starts to break down the barrier. But the idea, we believe that's always investing in getting up the river, that there's two different things. Our, we have great partners in our community that help people survive. And a lot of the reason direct service is required is because we've never fixed the barriers that allow them, that make it difficult for them to survive. So while survival is still a very important part of the equation, we very much want to put ourselves out of business. We want to figure out the system that's broken, fix it and be done. Like this isn't how to sustain our research for the rest of time. That would mean we're not achieving our mission. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, we're trying to get people to invest, put the dollars into the systemic change um, because it, it, quite frankly, uh, money matters, you know, to change minds and hearts and minds, we need to invest in, in the movement. And I think that is what, when I came across the Women's Fund, what really stuck out to me was this, It it is like that, I don't know if it's literally three prongs, but this approach that, I mean, even just funding research and funding advocacy is something that, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I do not have the philanthropy background, obviously, um, but just was, is so incredible that any of us in the community can look to this organization and say, oh, like my dollars, as few as I have, can fund research that can then change policy. The only thing I would say on that that particular point, you 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 touch on something so important to our mission, which was that these women who were involved early on realized that women really didn't think they had enough to make a difference. And we firmly believe that every single dollar matters, whether now there and there's aspiration within it. And that it really is if you want to change something about our society, women take everything on themselves and they think, well, if I can't pay for it all and do all the work, and what we're trying to say is, listen, I'll show up for work every day and do my darndest to figure this out. And if you'll give me your $2, your $20, your $200, 
it will matter. And we're going to stand so shoulder to shoulder until we figure this out. And so it really was about getting people in that game and knowing that their $2 donation for something they truly care about, they don't have to. A lot of people will say, well, I, I'm not doing the work myself. You are. When you donate those $2, you're doing the work with us. Especially when the when it's the system, you know, there's, it's such an, it feels insurmountable. And so a project like this and a group like this, it seems like this is how you fix it, that collective action on all fronts. Um, and so this, uh, one of the prominent missions of the Women's Fund, and so obviously you've been talking about investing and the direct service mm -hmm. and like the surviving is also important and mm -hmm. this investment. And so um, a prominent mission of the Women's Fund is to promote racial equity. Um, and you just launched the Enduring Progress Initiative, um, which targets systemic barriers to gender and racial equity. The recipient of this $50,000 grant, which I believe was the women's largest or the women's fund's largest single investment to date um, is Zora's house uh, from right here in Columbus. And uh, we've worked with the founder, Elsie Johnson, here at the library uh, for the series Safe Conversations About Race back in 2017 and 2018. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about this new initiative and why uh, Zora's house was such a good fit. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Um, we knew um, our principal mission, of course, is focused on transforming the lives of women and girls. But one of the most important things that our founders wrote into our vision, our value statement early on was that we we didn't know what to call it at the time, but um, we knew that there were multiple barriers that held women back that certainly their gender was the one we were focused on the whys of, but we knew that when gender intersected, and that wasn't the word we were using at the time, but it's the one that we are smart enough to use now, that when gender ran up against racial discrimination, when it ran up against economic status, when it ran up against religious differences, when it ran up against um, gender identity issues, that your, your life became even more complicated. So one of the early things was, why are women not trans, why are women not reaching their full potential? Well, we knew just women generally that just a gender issue um, was causing certain norms to kick in. Then we knew that if you also had a race and gender issue, there was an even deeper impact. If you were uh, a gender in a certain religion, there was an even deeper impact. And so what we were talking about was always intersectionality. And so as we uh, watch, now we've got the words for that. We've learned about, um, and luckily every day our country is opening up its mind to the um, what happens when these intersections occur and you are both female and you are something else. And what we know is that when you are female and you are a woman of color or when you identify as female and you are a person of color, um, those two things are going to have devastating impact together. It means you're going to have people are going to trust you less. They're going to give you less. They're going to make life harder on you. And we don't know. We know that's due to racism and deeply seated um, sexism. And, um, and that has to be broken. And so we did a Wealth Gap report in 2019 to try to figure out how women fare, and especially women in central Ohio. And we saw that a woman, a single woman, owns, we talk about wealth gap, so wealth, what she owns, not just what she earns. Um, and that matters because you can earn the same thing as a man. We could be equal in pay. And if you have more childcare costs, a worse mortgage, more student loans, you are not going to have as much wealth. So let's focus on wealth. And when you have wealth, a single woman owns 40 cents for every dollar that a single man owns, a composite woman, if there's such a thing. When you look at black women, it was two cents. Two cents 
for every dollar of what she earns. And that shows you how devastating the intersection of racism and sexism is. Because what that means is that a single black male probably owns more. That doesn't mean he owns enough. I'm not saying that by far. But that inner, so we became in 2019 focused on that because what that means is those women are not active members of our, of our economy the way that they want to be and they should be. Our economy is not as healthy without them. Um, they are the backbone of our economy. Something that we've learned so much, especially people who may have been in the dark a little bit more have learned so much, um, hopefully, um, over the last, oh, during the pandemic. Exactly. And so then what did we know? We did this in 2019, 2020. We see that this is the very sad fact that the pandemic happens. And we said, we were telling you a year ago, they couldn't weather a storm. And guess what? They can't weather a storm. And the storm is actually targeting them because they're either on the front lines or they're the first jobs to go. Women by last April had lost a generation's worth of advancements in the workforce. So we focused it with API. Um, the question that you asked, we saw this intersection of racism and sexism. And what we knew is that there were amazing women of color in our community who were who had who are the architects of equity they know what to do their lived experiences are they are the experts on what we need and yet they have no funding and uh, I think that Elsie Johnson and her and the the organization she founded, I mean, it's interesting. She was just named the full-time CEO of that organization, even though she founded it over two years ago. It's already a successful venture. It already has a building. And she did all of that on the side. Our, you know, our sister organization, the Ms. Foundation, wrote a report about how Black women especially found these organizations and nobody funds them. Nobody gives them courage capital, as I call it to literally have a strategy. Um, they're living paycheck to paycheck and so, uh, and often as a second job. So um, our, our Enduring Progress Initiative was designed to target that funding gap and very courageously close it. And that's wonderful. I actually, so um, the Ms. Foundation reported recently that the monetary giving to women of color is shockingly low. Like you said, it makes up only 0.5% of nearly the 67 billion that is annually given to foundations. And so I actually have two questions here. So you said it was a, it's the Ms. Foundation for Women is a sister organization. And also the Women's Fund is, are there more than just the one here in Central Ohio? So we'll start there. <laughs> yeah, that's what's exciting is that um, we were founded um, uh, when the Women's Fund of Central Ohio was founded. Uh, our founders knew about other women's funds across the country, um, and they can be started anywhere by anyone. Uh, and then there's something called the Women's Funding Network. So when I use the term sister organization, um, we re we often for refer to ourselves as that. We're not officially affiliated, um, but they are members of the Women's Funding Network, and so are we. We all pay do okay. to be together. Great. Um, and we have constant conversations about what each other's doing. Uh, Teresa Younger, who runs the Ms. Foundation, but she is, uh, I've learned so much from her about this issue. She was focusing on women of color. Yeah. And they're still, though, doing really, we would, as we would expect, really groundbreaking research that all of us can use to say, if you really want to keep moving this needle, here's the mm -hmm. here. And uh, so we, their most recent report was very instructive to us. And so, and so you and Elsie um, then spoke about this, about this issue to philanthropy women mm -hmm. recently. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll link this um, in the notes for our listeners if um, check that article out. So how is the Women's Fund, I guess, specifically working within the organization to address that inequity in giving, in philanthropy? Um, that, again, it's that 0.5% for the listeners. This is just, it's shocking when you hear how little 
um, philanthropy is given to um, women of color. And so, um, and organizations founded by women of color like Elsie at Zora's house. And so, um, yeah, like what, is the Women's Fund doing anything specifically um, within its own work and within its own organization to address um, that inequity? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, so, so let's, I'll step back. 1.6% of philanthropy, institutional philanthropy generally goes to organizations focused generally on women and girls. So low. That's so low. So that's what I mean. And this is where, when we talk about sexism and then the intersection of sexism and racism, this is a perfect example. Women already get such a low amount of targeted funding and much of it focused in survival, not transformation. Can you, for me and also for the listeners, could you like give an example? So of that, of sort of that difference between survival and transformational? Absolutely. I bet you if you look at that 1.6% that women and girls get, it's for diapers, housing, temporary housing, um, things that most of us, if we were really in the equality world, should take for granted. To your earlier point, (laughs) you know, there are very few um, people who believe when they're born that they wouldn't be entitled to actually have stable housing um, or an, enough money to actually have food and a diaper on their baby. But what you find is, so if you take apart that 1.6%, people tend to, when they think about giving to women, it's like, how can we help these women survive? Mm-hmm. And this is where we say they're systemic barriers because no one's even thinking about they deserve to do so much more than survive. And when it comes to black women, it's worse. And LC is far more eloquent on this than I. Check out that article. (laughs) Yes, I will try to do her justice. Um, She would say that when she says she works in black women's empowerment, people say, send her and say, oh, you know, so like you work with homeless women. You know, there's an assumption that because you're talking about a black woman, you're talking about a poor person. And that's and that not that there's not dignity all around and but our point is they're not the same, nor should you assume they're the same. Absolutely. And so philanthropy does the same thing that it assumes, well, if we're gonna invest in women, let's prevent let's make sure that the women have food. Well, that should be a given. Mm-hmm. And so the women's fund was created in a public foundation situation. What we've said is clearly our systems of both for-profit and nonprofit have taken women's lived experience, have not considered women's lived experiences. And that when we do get involved in supporting women, it's when they're in such a devastating situation yep. that we're barely just trying to keep them alive. I can the the one that comes to mind the most is um, like domestic abuse shelters. Right, right. Now they need them. Absolutely. If you know anything about domestic violence, Absolutely. it's the only way, right? Um, but the question would be, why aren't we throwing dollars at teaching all people that violence is is never an option. Right. Um, and so that's a, that's a really, so where women's funds work is on that side of the equation, which is to say, we have a systemic issue that causes women to have to live in poverty more often than men. Mm-hmm. For instance, we know childcare is one of the reasons. If you're raising children and you have to find a way for them to be taken care of while you're at work, you're spending money on that. It means you have less wealth. Um, how that's, how well that system works, how efficiently that system works is, is causing them not to thrive. Yeah. So it's the same. So the women's funds sit in this place where we try to find the systemic issue, research it, understand it, put out reports like we do or the Ms. Foundation does, then start to fund in that space. And so we know how can we fix, there's this massive funding gap when a woman of color says, I've got this brilliant idea. And especially if it's someone like LC who says, I have a brilliant idea, not just to help women survive, but thrive. Mm -hmm. But 
this started just like any person who would go walk up to a venture capitalist and say, I want to start a company. I've got a great tennis shoe I want to make. I need X million dollars to do that. What the for-profit world very often answers, and especially if it's a white male, <laughs> they will answer, here's a check. Yeah. If you're a black woman and you ask that question, especially for a nonprofit purpose, you may get a 10th or a 10th of a 10th of what you asked for. Right. And yet we wonder why then nothing they don't reach their goals and they don't have the impact they wanted. And so we, with the Enduring Progress Initiative, what we're doing at the Women's Fund is saying, trust-based for trust-based philanthropy matters. Mm. The expert, they're the architects of equity. We have some fundraising ability. We also have an eye for what's what the research tells us and what's going to help the world. Mm -hmm. And we aim to be venture capitalism for social good. You know, we're going to raise the dollars and we're going to be smart enough to know who needs to be invested in and work with them and build their capacity and do the same thing that venture capitalists do in the for-profit world. Our return on investment looks different, though. It's not the dollars we get back. It's the changes in, in society. It's the, it's the social good that comes from it. Um, we still have to show a return on investment or no one will invest with us. But <laughs> sure. we believe, and what we also want people to understand, though, is that we have generations of things to work on, you know, that wow. you can't fix generations of issues that have been caused for in, in a couple of years. There's no right. metric I could give someone. That. Gosh, there's so much. I, I really like that parallel between um, venture, venture capitalists and this, you know, investing in the failing up entrepreneur, you know, young white mm -hmm. man and, and like failing and failing. And I just... I think that's a great like, hey, we're investing in them. Come over here and invest in a place like Zora's house. And just for our listeners, because I don't think um, I actually said Zora's house is the only co-working and community space in central Ohio catering specifically to women of color. Um, and the mission there is to equip women of color with the clarity, confidence and community that they need to live their best lives and do their best work all within a curated environment of sisterhood and support. There's actually a physical location. Um, and again, I'll put the link to Zora's house in the notes uh, for the episode. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit. As you mentioned, this is the 20th anniversary of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio. So congratulations. And you have been involved with that group for almost the whole time, if not the whole mm -hmm. time. Uh, we want to know, what are some of the biggest surprises that you've had since working with the Women's Fund or even um, since taking over as CEO? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that, um, you know, when I, I, I grew up in a corporate world, um, I was a lawyer um, for the first half of my career. And I think it was a real surprise to me that when I, you know, my law class was half women, half men. Mm. Um, and I think that it was easy. Yeah. And uh, when I graduated and, and it was very easy to walk out of that program thinking, well, we've pretty much we're, we're doing well, you know, um, yet when I watched those 50 percent women walk out into the work world, take the same jobs as their male counterparts. In my case, my husband and I had virtually the same job um, in the same law firm for a long time. And you start to see um, the struggles around uh, the ability to bear children and what happens when you do that and the struggles around um, being the only voice in the room that is that sounds like yours or the lived experience you have versus what most of the lived experiences are in the room. And I it was this concept of, uh, so the real surprise for me has over the years, both personal and with the Women's Fund was how many layers there are to understanding how, why things are the way they are. I had extraordinary male mentors, people who truly cared about my success, people who who sponsored and mentored and did all those good things. 
And yet I think for many of them, they never really understood my lived experience. That meant I was going to run into roadblocks that they weren't going to be able to help me with without really looking at themselves and the institution. Mm-hmm. And I think for all of us, whether it's how the world looks at nonprofit, how for-profit looks at nonprofit, <laughs> whether it's how women, men look at each other, whether it's how white people and people of color, we have to do really deep digging because many of us feel like we're really trying to do a good job most of the time. And it's just really hard to realize we're not, that there's so much more we can do. And time and again, over the last 20 years I've been involved with the Women's Fund, I have been enlightened to how much I'm missing, you know, how much more I could do for other people, how much more I could do to understand other people, how hard it is to admit to myself, I didn't get it right. And and to this day, there'll be a million things I've probably said already that I'm going to go, gosh, I wish I'd done that. Um, That's okay. Um, I also think that it's really important to be in this work and realize to your earlier point, we all have to get up every day and do as much as we can. And with philanthropy, people tend to say, well, I gave $10 and I'm not sure what they did with it. And I'm not sure where it went and I didn't get a report. Uh, But you probably would pay close to 10 bucks for a good coffee and not even blink an eye. Oh, all the time. Have you been to Fox in the Snow? Come on. Yeah, that's right. And I love it. It's delicious. And that's what I want people to say with our work, which is it's delicious, this experience I'm having with the Women's Fund. And you know what? That 10 bucks, it was the best 10 bucks I ever spent. You know, like, don't ask um, to make it three more times, you know, um, and, um, I think that there's this understanding, uh, there's this, this vulnerability um, to being part of a movement that wants to create social change, wow. that um, it, hum- it humbles you, it humbles you at every step. Um, but it's, it's so, but I do believe the Women's Fund, um, if, if anyone goes back and reads our value statement, I, I think they would be struck by how um, forward thinking it was talking about breaking down all these barriers. And like I said, that we were, we were talking about intersectionality and didn't even know at the time that was, that was a thing. Yeah. So so I think that I, I'm always, I'm surprised by how well we knew what our mission needed to be even before we knew who we were. And, and I'm also surprised at at sometimes how hard it is to be good at that, at at doing that work. There are a lot of barriers and a lot of structures in place to, to prohibit it. Okay, so we're highlighting um, the Women's Fund because it's Women's History Month, and um, this will release uh, the same week as International Women's Day. Um, And so we wanted to highlight uh, the Women's Fund, inspiring um, programs and community events, but also inspiring women locally, like yourself, who are making history basically right here in our own backyard, um, in our own neighborhoods. So your background um, in philanthropy is extremely vast and impressive. Having been a founding member of Pelotonia and eventually its COO, and then going on to work with the Columbus Foundation as first director of special projects and later as senior vice president. Um, So I'd like to give you a sort of a pie in the sky opportunity here. If you had an unlimited budget or fund to create any program or service, what would it be? Um, And we can even narrow we can even narrow it down if it's easier um, to something with the Women's Fund, (laughs) since that's who you are here. You are the CEO of um, if that makes it easier. Um, Thank you for asking. I think that um, what I get excited about, you know, at the Women's Fund and that's the lens I think through now. I'm really motivated by human connection. I believe that the way we will we will finally break down social barriers is when people actually see each other as as human beings, um, which we are not taught to do from the moment we're born. We're, we're categorized immediately. So I think that design thinking is really important. 
And I think that that that's that's a that means that you involve it, it goes back to these lived experiences I've mentioned a couple of times during the podcast, which is that when we do research, we shouldn't just be looking for the stats. We should be talking to the experts and changing our assumptions based upon what they think. So to give you an example, if we're trying to research why women aren't gaining wealth, we should be talking to them about what's their experience with childcare, what's their experience with mortgages, what's their experience with student loans, and let them tell us what's wrong instead of me, who was able to pay off my student loans fairly easily, um, had stable childcare for the most part. Um, my lived experience tells me nothing about what they need. And yet, honestly, when you look at how we do things in this country, most of the time, it's uninformed people creating rules and systems for people they don't understand. I would love to create sort of a form of research that really focuses on those experts, that allows us to have a voice in, I've done this before, I may know how to do this. What do you need? Let's put our heads together. But that I'm always testing my ability to fix against what they actually need and want. And what's great is that the, the Women's Fund, um, our, our grant making, for instance, has always been a participatory grant making program, which means when people apply to us for grants, we have over 300 people in the community that review those grants, men, women, young people, older people, whatever, all different races and backgrounds, because we need to know the community actually thinks the investments we're going to make will work. And that is an element of design thinking that it's, it would not matter if it was just Kelly Greesmer making a decision what to grant. I would make huge mistakes. I mean, I don't believe you, but sure. I, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but I mean, if you just, so the first good step I can make is always to trust the person, right? Mm -hmm. So the Elsie Johnsons of the world come to me and say, this is what Black women need. Sure. If I trust her, I'm making one good decision. The next decision I could ask is a bunch of other women to say, well, how do you feel about this? Um, and, and, and that's what Elsie really does in her work is she talks to all kinds of women of color and says, am I creating something that works for you? Um, so I just think that, that that human connection, that belief in people that um, the integrity and in their uh, believing in their humanity and just allowing them to have, you know, we always say, let people have a voice at the table. Yeah. It, it's about not just the voice, the hearing it, the, the, the funding it. Uh, so I think you research that way and then you fund that way. That, that's incredible. That's a great idea. Someone get this woman a magic wand, please. Because yeah, I, <laughs> and all I hear, you know, over trying to read in these spaces and, and all you, you hear over and over again from leaders across the board who I think are working very hard to make society more equitable for us all. All it keeps coming back to, it seems like, is collective action, coalition building, listening to the community and this grassroots effort. And and it sounds so cliche or cheesy, but it's like, that's what women do is coalition mm -hmm. build. And we trust each other in the community because it's the opposite of patriarchy. <laughs> so I just that it's just a really beautiful thing. So thank you for answering. Um, okay. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so of course, I cannot let you go. This is a new thing that I'm going to do on this podcast. What was the last thing that you read, watched, listened to or played that you really enjoyed? <laughs> Good question. Um I uh, I loved Queen's Gambit. I, I watched I watched it, and I, I don't know a darn thing about chess. Um, and I and I and it didn't matter. 
She's incredibly strong um, person, character to watch. Um, on the other hand, I will tell you that I drove my family crazy. I, 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 my family consists of a husband, a son, and me. And um, I constantly railed on them that, you know, the fact that there's one woman who's the star doesn't mean that there's enough. Did it not pass the Bechtel test? <laughs> exactly. So um, I love, yes, it did. I, I think it did pass the Bechtel test because for people who don't know, that's a woman has to be able to talk about something other than a man <laughs> in a movie. To another and if, woman. Yes. If two women are talking, but they're only talking about men, it doesn't, doesn't count. Um, and I'll, you'd be shocked how many things fail over that. Uh, yeah. yeah. If anyone hadn't heard of the Bechtel test, we probably just ruined movies for you for the rest of your yeah, life. Because yeah, once you start watching movies through that lens, you're just like, wow, I don't like any movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So I, I think it does pass the Bechtel test, um, but she doesn't talk to a lot of women in that in that. Um, um, but I loved that, and and um, I will actually confess that I um, never watched Breaking Bad, and I'm still watching it. I'm just watching it right now, and um, it's I've never loved and hated something so much at the same time. It's really hard to watch, but it's so good. Okay. So okay. I, I, yeah, I I also didn't watch Breaking Bad and still haven't. And at this point, I'm just like, maybe I'll wait till I'm the last person on planet Earth who hasn't seen the best TV show of all time. I, I, I got out of your way. Uh, I got out of your way. There you go. Um, okay. So is there anything else you would like to, you would like our listeners to know? Um, and then, of course, for listeners who are interested in supporting the work at the Women's Fund, um, what are ways that the public can get involved? Yeah, great. Um, so uh, I, I think that what I, I'd say is that uh, there's a lot of people that assume they know what the Women's Fund is. Um, and I would ask them to just check out our website and um, and really um, give it a look, because I think we surprise people a lot of the time with uh, the way that we approach our work. And with that said, the easiest way to get involved with us, I mean, it's very simple to get involved. Um, we are a movement. You can get on our list. Uh, we send out a newsletter right now um, every two weeks called Holding the Line that talks about just the state of women, especially during the pandemic. Uh, you can make it, and a donation of any size truly matters. Um, we've always believed that, and we don't put in our newsletters or our impact reports how much people give. Every new name is, is shoulder to shoulder. So, and that's a statement about how much it matters um, that all people, and it, it really is about the collective power and passion of all people working together. Men have a big role to play in creating the equity. And they're not members of our board right now, but they are still need to be huge members of our work. Um, our board is all women. Um, that was by design. Um, and maybe eventually we'll change that. But for now, we still need some men in the work um, to help us see see the, how that how that will hopefully continue to evolve, and um, uh, the la and then of course our grant reading as I, I referred to uh, our our it, there's a huge opportunity at least once sometimes twice a year to come and read grants with us and a lot of people learn a lot about our mission that way so um, if you need more information Great. just email us and we're happy to answer. Great. Okay. Well, thank yeah. you again yeah. so much um, for joining us. This has been awesome, and I just thank you so much and thank you for your work. Um, in this space. Thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you for tuning into the BPL podcast today. We hope you enjoyed. I'm your host, Leanne, and I've been speaking with the CEO of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio, Kelly Griesmer. Find out more about the Bexley Public Library, including upcoming events at our website, bexleylibrary.org or across platforms at Bexley Library. If you liked what you heard, please help us grow by telling a friend. Rate us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.